ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested in specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we are very excited to have our friend and fellow intrepid colleague on with us, Dr. Mark Schaefer. So Dr. Schaefer serves as Clinical Excellence Captain at My Eye Doctor in Birmingham, Alabama, where he practices full-scope optometry. In addition to his clinical work, he is affiliated with several pharmaceutical companies in consulting for ocular disease and contact lenses. He writes for multiple journals on patient care and in the optometric industry. Dr. Schaefer is a founding member of the Intrepid Eye Society and is a member of the Alabama and American Optometric Association, the American Academy of Optometry, and the Contact Lens and Cornea Section. Dr. Schaefer earned his Bachelor of Business Administration and Marketing from the University of Georgia, his Doctor of Optometry from SCO, and completed a residency in ocular disease at Baskin Palmer Eye Institute in Miami, Florida. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for a while, so I get to fanboy out a little bit. Um, while I'm on the podcast. When I texted you about being on this podcast, the text went something like, hey, Mark, how much do you think you know about makeup on a scale of one to 10? And you said two, meaning I don't know a lot about makeup. And I was like, perfect. You're going to be on this podcast because the goal of this podcast today is we're talking about makeup, what our patients do with makeup, the role of cosmetics and dry eye. And we really want to get someone who feels not super confident about talking about makeup and will ask the questions that we think um, people should know and, and know how to answer and how to talk about cosmetics with their patients. So we thought we'd maybe like start out a little bit like, how do you start the topic or the conversation about makeup with patients when you see they are wearing a lot of makeup? Actually, before he answers, I want to ask one other quick question, which is, what do you think eye makeup is? Or what do you think makeup is when you're thinking about Wow. Makeup? Wow. <laughs> it depends on what your definition of the word is, is. Is this what we're getting at here? Um, yeah. Anything around the eye and annexa is going to be eye makeup right? Anything that can be added, whether that's foundation, mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow, anything, everything that touches the surface. It's like the Lion King. Anything that the light touches belongs to us. So I'm already going to say, you know, way more than some other people who maybe don't even know what the word eyeliner means. So maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit. But my point of asking you that was to see what if you knew what things were called, because believe it or not, sometimes People don't know the difference between eyeliner or eyeshadow, um, especially if they don't have you know exposure to eye makeup. But a couple things that sometimes we don't think about when we go into this conversation is it really affects everyone that we come in contact with because facial cleansers and um, toners or lotions that might be going on around the eyes also fall into this eye cosmetics. Oh, I definitely agree. Cosmetics, right? You always ask 
I like when I have patients, and especially those who are suffering from dry eye disease, they always have something that comes back to, there was one point I used to be able to wear eye makeup and now I can't, or I used to be able to wear X and now I can't, or I've had to stop wearing that. And that's an enormous red flag that shows up in the eye exam itself. But usually to answer Jackie's question, like it's always fun for me because I get the irony, right? Like I'm a 39 year old male doctor trying to explain to women about eye makeup. And that is the first thing that I say is before I'm, I take the slit lamp away and I'm like, okay, I get it right here. We're going to talk about eye makeup. I get it right. Like I want to diffuse it as much as possible that like, listen, I'm not here to tell you no eye makeup. And literally this is what I tell every patient is because if I told you no eye makeup, I'd be the last female patient. You'd be the last female patient that I see. Or you're going to go, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. So it's a way for me to immediately diffuse the situation and get past the awkwardness of I'm a male doctor trying to explain to a female patient how to take care of her eyes, which she's been doing for 20 more years than I've been in practice, right? Um, And even some male patients, 20 years longer than I've been in practice, they're doing this on a day-to-day basis. So I try to diffuse it and build that bridge so that we can get to a better place of, of healing, essentially. I think that's a great idea, actually, to start it out like that. And I, I really do like that you're saying, like, I'm not saying that you can't wear makeup because that would be a huge problem. Like, I, I mean, I say that to my patients, too. Like, I'm not saying don't wear makeup. I still wear makeup. Like, I'm just saying there's a safer way to be doing this. And so I think that's a great lead in um, to your conversation. Are you seeing a lot of patients with um, dry eye or contact lens intolerance that you feel is related to like makeup? Oh, definitely. Every day I tend to see it. And my cotton tip applicators are probably my best weapon against this in the actual show. Don't tell. So like I will just, Hey, while you're looking up and I'm looking at the meibomian glands, I'll grab a cotton tip applicator and say, you're going to feel me wipe along the edge of your eyelid. And that's it. And I do one quick swipe inside to outside on either side. Um, and I make sure to rotate it. So I get two different areas of makeup so I can show the patient so they can see it. Um, the only person that has a problem is a presbyopic, you know, emetrope that can't see that up close, but they can see colors. Um, so they can see that is where I'm removing it from. And then I'll tie it into if they're having contact lens intolerance or having dry eye disease, this is stuff that's getting into your eye. This is not supposed to be there. So you're kind of teaching them about the waterline that way, I guess, and just meibomian glands. My other favorite way to use the cotton tip applicator is for the patient that you see a lot of makeup residue on their lid and lash. And I ask them when the last time they wore eye makeup was, and they'll say, oh, not, you know, for four days prior to this exam. And I love to just show them how much is still there, even though they've cleaned it off in their minds. Air quotes, cleaned it off, all right? It's a, it's a wipe, wipe, I'm done. <laughs> um, that's actually a good point. I had a patient today who had a very similar situation where she was like, I didn't wear any makeup today because I knew I was coming here. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, really? Because there's like this light, like really strong band of like old, you can tell when it's old, like an old mm-hmm. liner that's like sitting on that lower lash line. 
But us talking about, or Mark, you talking about using a cotton swab to sort of like go along their waterline. Are you familiar with those terms of like waterline placement with mascara? And do you know, like tight lining? Does this, is this like a normal things for you? Yeah. So I I use the word waterline and I always, again, when I do this, I like to seem like a dumb person. So I will say, I'll pull down the lid and be like, you see this area? This is called the waterline. Now stop me if you know this, right? Like that is, I, I want you to stop me if you know this. I'm not trying to over explain because again, I'm not doing the trends, right? I'm seeing the trends secondhand. Um, I'm not on TikTok. Thank goodness. I already have enough things killing my time, but I'm not like aggressively doing that. And I want to make sure that I come off as I'm here to take care of you. We can laugh about it golly gee shucks, like I'm here to take care of you, right? Like that's what I want to do and have a laugh while I'm doing it. And it it really cuts the tension in what I'm about to say, which is we need to do better. Um, and I think it kind of builds into that with the patient that they understand now that it's, I'm looking at something specific and targeted and not just saying something for the sake of saying something. Like I'm actually addressing a problem. I think it helps when you have photographs for sure. So if you have a slit lamp camera and can actually photograph some of this, but even if you don't like using the cotton swab to wipe along their waterline and then showing a picture of like where these glands open, it like, I feel like really hits a home for a lot of patients. They understand like, oh, when I just put my pencil right over top of that, I'm like, you're blocking all of those. But the same goes for the upper waterline, which is like tight lining is another phrase that's used for that. And that's when people are like lifting up that upper lid and really going at it on that, you know, upper waterline. Um, so I, I say those two words too, but I think I, I have had women who don't know what that waterline is. So I think it's good that you say, I pull my lower lid down and this is the, you know, the, the waterline here. I think that's actually very helpful with patients. Sorry, I forget that this is a spoken medium and not a visual medium. So when I like pull down my lid on camera, no one <laughs> sees that. I should describe that. Um, but yeah, I think that it's important for us to demonstrate and show that. Um, and again, when you have a patient that says, I didn't wear makeup in today, I'm like, oh, shoot, you should have, right? Like, if you want to, I want to see what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Like, when patients come in and say, I shouldn't have worn makeup, that's when I say, thank you for doing that. Because now I get to see when you're not playing nice for the doctor, um, I actually get to see what your normal day-to-day -day looks like. And I think that's important, too, for us when we have a patient that's like, oh, I shouldn't have worn eye makeup or, oh, I didn't wear eye makeup because of that. It gives us kind of this false sense of hope that like, oh, maybe they are taking care of that. But then those are the things that we don't see the 365 other days a year they're not in our clinic that affects how their eyes feel. And it's almost like we have plenty of stories between the three of us of patients who live their life and completely in risk factors of things that don't show up in an exam room or behaviors that don't show up in an exam room that have tremendous impact in their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I think that's important to, you know, a lot of times people avoid wearing the makeup in and then if you don't think to ask them, you might not even know what they're doing, you know, the other days out of the week that they're not seeing you. One of the, one of my old colleagues um, had a patient like that one time. She didn't have any eye makeup on, but when he pulled down her conjunctiva or pulled her lid away, 
he said it was just like filled with glitter from whatever eyeshadow she had been wearing, you know, over the weekend prior to her exam. At the Taylor um, Swift concert, right? Probably. Yes. <laughs> I even was wearing eyeliner, which is not something I typically do just because of that. Um, so what about your patients when they think that, so they think that, you know, these makeups irritate their eyes, right? Or they irritate their contacts or whatever it is that makes them start paying attention to their eyes. So then they start looking at ways to avoid it. One might be waterproof because if their eyes tear and, and things when they're wearing their makeup or they're tight lining or water lining, funny how that makeup is moving like, you know, through the lid <laughs> to the corner of their eye because the meibomian glands are trying to secrete. Um, but then they start to do other trends. Um, and you can't help but ignore this one because it's everywhere right now, which is the eyelash extensions. I had to laugh. I was traveling last week and a lady <laughs> in one of those rows ahead of me, you know, we were getting ready to get off the plane and her eyelashes were partly on and partly off. <laughs> um, and so it just kind of made me laugh, but I feel like eyelash extensions have gotten larger and longer. And I don't even know, you know, how some of these ladies keep their eyes open <laughs> to, to function in the day. So, but sometimes they think they're doing themselves a favor, right? They're using that instead of mascara every day, or maybe they even turn to um, a tattoo eyeliner to take place of the regular eyeliner. Um, do you, I'm sure you come in contact with that. How do you, identify it? Is it easy for you to see that tattoo eyeliner or false eyelashes, you know, from your perspective, Mark? If, if I can't see false eyelashes, I need an eye exam these <laughs> days. Like it really is. Like if you don't notice it on a patient, like I, I come in, I walk in the exam room, I, like I, first thing I do is look at the patient and I have staff members and they will, I'll be like, Hey, did you notice this thing? And they were like, no. And I was like, did you look at the patient because like it's so important for us it gets so easy for us to get locked into the flow of the day and looking at the chart and looking at everything the routing slip the nine things that are going on in the back of your head whether that's in the practice or out of the practice that when you walk in that room like i want to make eye contact i want to see how they react what they're doing what they're up to i'm also looking at what they're wearing on their face on their head on their body like is there anything that I can connect to this patient with? And every time I see false eyelashes, like it is like a, a tractor beam, just straight to the eyelashes. You can't miss it. Um, so yes, I'm seeing it. Um, I always like to ask patients how often they, when I, I look in it, when I'm looking in the slit lamp, I'll look at the lashes and be like, so how often do you replace or change out your lashes? Because I want them not to be like, oh, they look false from distance like me walking in the room but when I'm looking under a slit lamp like you can't hide that right like the patient doesn't feel like they can hide these are false lashes so I always ask how often how do you keep them in is it glue is it um what's the is it like uh threaded in um is it permanent is it removable how often are you removing it and then how are you cleaning between it and that's what I ask every patient while I'm in the slit lamp um, just because it gives me the ability to ask that question without them feeling like they're being judged from face distance. 
I do something very similar. I I um I always ask in the slit lamp. I don't ask when I'm like just sitting there talking to them because I I feel the same. I don't want them to think like I'm like oh god these lashes are so obvious. But um one thing that you know I see a lot of and I'm constantly taking pictures of is tons of blepharitis in these lash extensions. So you've got like two different ways you can go if you're trying to like. Um, put on some fake lashes. You can use the long strip and use glue that you're just applying um, sometimes like where you would apply upper eyelid eyeliner. And then sometimes there's a new trend where you're putting the lashes almost underneath and on the upper waterline of the upper lid, which is, you know, kind of an awful place to put that obviously. And then you have this other lash extension where they're literally going to a salon and, and sitting for a Hours. long period of time. Hours. Yes. A long period of time with, um, Mark, you can, you can Google that or you can Instagram this and, and just watch this process being done, but they're going to individual lashes and gluing on these little lashes to the patient's lash. Now, the problem with this is, well, first of all, they do look really good. Okay. So it's, they do when they're done in the right way, like in that crazy long, they do look really good. But the problem is, is that the, the person that has this lash extension doesn't want to touch their lashes. They don't want to clean them because they're just going to rip out all of these lashes. So that I feel like is the hardest part to really have that conversation with the patient. And oftentimes they're getting a product at their lash salon. Like they're going to get whatever foaming cleanser that's being recommended to them. Sometimes there are brushes. Um, we love eyes actually has a whole section on their website on like little in-between brushes you can use to try to brush through some of that stuff. There's another little soft, gentle brush that you can use with the foaming cleanser to get on the lash line. I, I talk about this and I, I usually try to relate to the patient and say, I know you really don't want to get in there and clean those lashes because you're going to want to, they're going to fall, you're going to pull off of there, but you really have to because the eye is like not looking good, but those are kind of like the two paths, but okay. So this is me talking a long time, but I do have a question for you guys because today a patient actually asked me, she was saying, you know, my dry has been getting worse. It's like her entry into the exam. Like my dry has been getting a little bit worse and I didn't notice this bad before. And then like kind of at the end of the exam, she's like, you know, I really want to get lash extensions. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't know. We got this dryness going, you know, I'm talking all about it. She's like, well, what do you think is worse? Lash extensions or those like glue on strip lashes? You know what I mean, Mark? Those like, it's a strip like that. And I was like, I think lash extensions are worse, but I would love to hear what you guys would say to that question. Like what's worse, a lash extension or the, you know, strip lash with glue? I presume that the lash extension is worse because it just sits there for longer periods of time and you have to go back in for fills and they're never really removing everything and cleaning everything off. But what do you guys think to that answer? I would ask why, <laughs> like, like I know it's for beauty, but like, is this an everyday wear? Is this a weekend wear? Is this a, I just want to feel fancy wear? Like, are you doing this every single day? I, mean, I think this trend is not going away anytime soon, right? I've been talking about it for, it feels like five years. And I feel like the number of people that are spending the money on it keep going up and up. Um, I I don't think we know. Both of them have the same risk with formaldehyde. You know, formaldehyde is in the glues, so that's a risk right there. I would have to argue 
what you know what you were saying, Jackie, does make the make more sense because it's a kind of like single use, right? But then if they reuse that same pair of lashes, that's where you'll probably run into the problem. But these individual glued lashes pose a big risk because because the eyelid is never getting a break. They, you know, the the people that are doing those type of extensions, just like you said, are back in um, every couple of weeks because of fallout and their natural lashes, you know, falling out and needing to be replaced. So that so those patients are the ones. In my experience, I've seen a lot of really bad blepharitis, but it's not usually right away. Um, I have to laugh because the the one lady came in, eyelids were swollen, super bad blepharitis, and I said, I think it's because of I think it's because of your long history of wearing eyelash extensions, but it's exactly the same conversation you have with that contact lens wearer that's wearing like a monthly lens and of using a monthly lens. And they say like, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. And and then you say like, well, that's why it's probably happening now. You know, this woman was like, well, I've been doing this for two years now. Why now? And I'm thinking, you know, why? I mean, goodness, it's only now and not when you first started, right? You got two years of good wear out of this. Be happy. Yeah. So I do think some of the hypochlor cleansers are probably compatible with the glues. Um, you know, I definitely think, you know, what We Love Eyes has is is compatible with the glues. What I actually have had some patients tell me is that certain teardrops aren't. So some of the eye drops, when they're using them for dry eye, actually breaks the bonds of the glue. And they were noticing that more of them were falling out. So that might be another area where we could try to improve upon for for these patients. because. I don't think the trend is going away. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember my first patient with false lashes and it was probably in school, but I was worried about GPC because again, it's one of those patients that was wearing lens, a lens for like three to four months. And I went to flip her eyelid and I pulled out probably eight lashes trying to avert the eyelid. And she was like, do you know how much that just cost you? And I was like, sorry, ma'am. Like, here I am, 26-year-old Mark, fresh out of optometry school. It was either first year out or while I was in school. And I just remember being like pulling out lashes just left and right and like leaving them on a tissue in the exam lane, being like, "Here, here's your damage. Um, but no, you need to quit abusing your contact lenses and take care of your eyelashes. Like, I think now for me, if a patient, asks, no patient's asking me that, right? Like as a male doctor, they don't, because they know the answer that I'm going to tell them, which is no, especially if you're having worsening dry eye symptoms, like all that you're doing is adding more insult to injury. So I use this analogy with contact lenses, but I think it works in this scenario, which is like when you want to put on eyelashes, like putting new shoes on a sprained ankle, like, yeah, it looks good. And yeah, you can get by, but you're not going to get better until you fully fix the problem, right? So unless you really fix that ankle, Everything that you do is addressing. So we got to get to this. So if you want to address worsening dry eye, don't do anything that's going to make this worse, especially if it's cosmetic. Like I get it. I do like the contact lens person or contact lens abuser who has an ulcer. That's a minus 10. You're like, listen, I would love for you to be able to wear a contact lens right now, but you can't. And so we, we have to have this ability to have that conversation with the patient that's still in a positive sense without making it feel like we're, you know, batting them on the hand or telling them, you know, you can't have dessert with dinner, right? Like it's just, we need to speak 
about it in a medical sense in a positive way that's not like, oh, you can do whatever you want, but it still gives the patient the reason to trust you as their advisor when dealing with beauty products. Because when you don't do that, then they're going to stop telling you all the stuff that they're doing. And then it's going to end up causing more problems down the road because everything that you throw at it, when we get all of these new drugs that's available and it doesn't work, it's not because the drugs don't work. It's because we're not identifying the real risk factors here. Right. Um, which I think is a great call out. And I think the difference in those, you know, maybe two scenarios is would a patient actively ask Jackie, right? Thinking like, and not ask you, Mark, because she might think you don't know. So I think you taking that proactive approach is what. Oh, I definitely don't know. But like, I will say, don't <laughs> well, do you know, I'm saying like maybe a patient would think, I don't know if I want to ask him because does he does he know or not? So I think that you taking the proactive stance with your patients is what is so important. Um, and then they start to feel comfortable, you know, asking you these questions because, you know, we do have a lot of guidance for these patients um, to give. It's just that they, you know, if we don't know their habits, like you're saying, how do you know what advice to give them? And then, you know, you don't want to be telling people, don't do this, don't do that, if, if it doesn't even pertain to them. Leslie, you and I were talking a little bit about like ingredients to avoid in makeup. And I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes patients will say, oh, I, I use this. First of all, you can usually tell if someone is using a lash growth serum, right? Like their lashes seem super long. Like the Rodan and Fields, I think is a really very noticeable one. Like they are extremely long. So I'll usually say like, do you use anything on your lashes, any serums or anything like that? And so sometimes we get in the conversation about lash serums and I don't know all of the lash serums on the market. There's I'm sure a ton of them, but they'll sometimes send I'll say, send, send me it, send me what the thing is that you're using. Like the ingredients will be like, is this making my dry worse? And I'm like, probably, but I don't want to be so 100% sure. I don't even know what's in this thing. So they'll send me the list. And, um, Leslie, do you have a list in front of you of all of the, like, uh, well, I mean, that this isn't really all of them, but what, what Mark was also talking about with, um, you know, just when you're trying to treat your dry eye patients and you're running into walls, lifestyle is such a big thing, whether it's nutrition or environment or cosmetics. Um, and so this this list in particular um, is coming from the, the latest TFOS work with their lifestyle workshop, which kind of really gets into the meat of all of these things. And and really what, what I learned by working on the cosmetic committee is there's a lot of science that we need to gain um, in the area of ingredients. So there's maybe 20,000 different chemicals that go into cosmetics. And, you know, the list is maybe 10 of, you know, 10 of these that we know based on science, we can tell our patients to avoid, but the prostaglandin um, analogs are definitely in that, whether they're um, what we're used to with, um, uh, bimatoprost or if it's what's called synthetic prostaglandins, whatever's growing the lashes made it on that list. Cause there is some science, you know, quite a bit of science around, um, prostaglandin analogs and their impact on meibomian glands. Um, benzylconium chloride again, tops the list because we know there's a lot of harm to conjunctival tissue, uh, conjunctival and corneal tissues there. Um, other, the most of them are preservatives like parabens, phenoxyethanol, um, chlorofessin, um, formaldehyde releasing, co um, compounds, salicylic acid is something that's often in facial cleansers that was on their list. 
tea tree oil still is getting, you know, some negative press, if you will, um, on this list. And then um, retinoids, um, any kind of retinol. They are instructed not to put that right on the, you know, within the orbital bone. But when you're thinking about relaxing fine lines and wrinkles, of course, instead of applying it once or twice a day, maybe all day looks good and crow's feet really do go inside that orbital bone. So I'm sure our patients are not really even reading that label. One of my staff members was asking about lash serum, right? Like she was asking which one should we, should she buy for her mom? She just po posed it to other people and the doctors, three of them are male, have no clue, right? Like we have no clue what we're like, hey, we used to sell Latisse in our office. We don't anymore. And she was like, is that a good idea? And like our first response was, eh. Right. Like it's like, eh. we don't really have a great answer because all of the prostaglandins, it's like, yeah, it, it works. But like, then you got to worry about all of these side effects that come with it. So do you want depigmented or pigmented areas around the eye? Do you think that there's a chance that her eye color might change? Do you want all of those sunken in orbit and preservatives on the surface? And it became this whole conversation that was just totally organic and totally just like, hey, I'm thinking about getting my mom this for Mother's Day. Just everybody talking in the office. So it was really interesting that this happened this week um, in preparation for Mother's Day, but we were able to get some guidance into some friendly, eye-friendly glass growth serum. I think for me, I have this list that I usually reference when someone sends me because I personally can't memorize all of these things. There's a lot of stuff on these like, you know, avoid ingredient list. I have a little sheet that I like use as my cheat sheet, but there are more natural ways that you can use, um, you know, not even serums, but you can use castor oil to naturally lengthen the lashes that don't require any sort of, um, you know, harsh chemicals that we're putting around the eyes. So I think it's, it's helpful to give an alternative to a patient who's like, like the answer can't just be no, right? Like, okay, well, I'm really bothered by this. Like my lashes are really short. Like I, I am bothered by this cosmetic thing. And if you're going to tell me no, I'll just go some, somewhere else and just buy something online, you know? So I think it's nice to have some alternatives for these patients that really do want something. Um, but for, for me, the other thing about the ingredients list is if there is something that is less than 1%, like present at less than 1%, it doesn't even have to be listed on the packaging ingredient list too. So it's not even required to be listed by the FDA. So sometimes there's a lot of hidden stuff in there that you think like, oh, I guess these ingredients are maybe okay. Or it says something, you know, innocuous, like it's hypoallergenic, which really means nothing. You know, so it's, it's cosmetics can be hard um, to sort of tease that out. But I think it's really the point of this is really to start having the conversation with patients and let them know, oh, cosmetics do. I guess that makes sense, right? Like, I think cosmetics would, you know, impact the eye. I think patients can understand that once you bring that up, you're literally placing it right around the eye. Um, well, not to beat you up, Jackie, but in that TFAS report, they, they actually did call out castor oil might not be as as benign as we thought. So we're- Leslie, 
Listen, Leslie, don't be such a downer. Well, I, would say, I would say my answer to some of those patients is thinning eyelashes could be a result of chronic blepharitis and meibomian gland dysfunction over your lifetime. So, you know, it'd be like drinking soda and expecting to have all your teeth when you're 70. Um, but there's water in soda, right? It's water Leslie, is the main ingredient okay. in soda, just like sweet tea down here. It's like you need water, but the second ingredient is sugar, and the third ingredient is brown. That's what's in sweet tea. It's sugar, water, brown. That's, that's what we drink. <laughs> I do agree with you about the um, hidden ingredients, and I'll tell you the easiest one is if you see fragrance listed on anything, um, that is where the catch-all is. So fragrance is this word that they can sneak it on to any label and it they don't really have to even say what's in that um and there's a lot of irritating chemicals that kind of get grouped in that so look be on the lookout for that word i think it goes i think it goes with just the general ocular surface in general right like you can take so many things that you can apply to the eye and put it in other places around your skin and in your ear but you can't take other medications for other places and put them in your eye. And that's because of the delicate nature of the tissue. And I think explaining that to patients, you know, like I've seen people use eye drops in their ear and seen providers prescribe eye drops for the ear because they can be less expensive um, and they can cross and go that way. Um, so I think it's just explaining that like, listen, your eyes are super delicate that's why you have all of these symptoms that are probably happening due to your dry eye disease. That's why it's important that you pay attention to what you're putting in and around your eyes and having that conversation again in a positive manner, but understanding that, Hey, this is our domain. This is what we do every day. Before we do a little final wrap up here, Mark, do you have any um, burning makeup questions that you think non-makeup um, users might want to know. You got any questions or do you have any questions? I mean, I always have questions. None of them are, you know, they're all existential questions, but I, you touched on, a, on, on the word hypoallergenic. And I think it bears a little bit more lengthening as to why that term isn't necessarily as good as we think it is. Um, and I think that's important because when we say get something that's hypoallergenic, like, it says it on the label, but doesn't necessarily mean that it has anything to do with not causing an allergy or response. Like, I think that's an important thing that we should hear as clinicians, um, because I think it's easy to just say, oh, get something hypoallergenic, but that doesn't really mean anything. I think that's a great call out. It definitely does not mean anything in the over-the-counter beauty cosmetic world. Um you know, I think that we're also positioned now with, with a growing number of eye cosmetics, right? So you can start to guide patients towards some of these brands that we're seeing come into our space that are made for for eyes. Jackie mentioned We Love Eyes. Um, I think that we know about Eyes Are the Story and then 2020 Beauty. And I'm, I'm not sure if any other ones have come in um, recently, but, you know, these are made with eyes in mind by people, you know, who have some kind of history in eye care. So that's another thing that's made it a little easier when you're trying not to say no, and you can say do better. And now you can offer up different things that you know are better. And, and for some of our patients, that's really made a big uh, impact for them. And then you mentioned the TFOS and uh, the lifestyle report that came out 
earlier this month. Do you want to give a plug as to where people can find that um, as a resource? Because I think that, again, the more knowledge we have, the better we can do, especially with this, because it is the first step in every algorithm for treatment is lifestyle modifications, right? How can we adjust lifestyle instead of starting with prescription medications, right? So how can we find the easiest place to start, which sometimes is the hardest place to start because then we got to dive into daily routines and exactly what we're doing and when we're doing it. Um, well, they do a great job of summarizing and sometimes even um, have a patient facing handout that you can give on this lifestyle um, to save a little bit um, or save quite a bit of your chair time. So tearfilm.org is where you can find all of that great information. Great. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about your favorite topic, makeup, and <laughs> teaching us how you talk to your patients about that. It's been great having you here. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Oh, it's been such a pleasure being with y'all. It's so lovely to see your faces um, and so lovely to listen and, and talk to the void, right, that's out there in the world. So, um, you know, I think it's important. One thing that we, I, I've been saying recently, um, there's a couple of things, but one, I just always like to say this, patients don't know what they don't know. And I think that's something that's important for us as eye care experts um, that patients come into day in and day out to know that they don't know these things, right? Like everything that we've discussed, they, we don't know that they don't know them and we need to do our best thing to educate as much as possible. And the word chair time, um, that everybody thinks is so negative. Like it's such an investment in the future of this patient, right? Like we get maybe 20 minutes with a patient if we're lucky unless you're Jackie and you can book off like every half hour to 45 minutes for your patients and you got plenty of chat time. I knew like, you were going to say that about me. I knew it. Yeah. I'm jealous, right? Like I get 20 minutes with my patients and I'm lucky if that's going to be all of their eye care for an entire year. So we have to pack in as much of that investment into making sure that our patients are taking care of their eyes between now and when we see them back, whether that's a year, if we're lucky, 14 or 16 months of their contact lens wear, or even up to three years if their glasses wear. So I think it's important for us to look at this chair time and asking these questions, not as a time sink, but really as an investment in the relationship that we have with our patients. Um, because I do think it's important to we that we develop this because we are going to be the person that we want our patients to turn to for this education about what's safe and what's not safe. Um, what's a good idea, what's not a good idea? What's gonna be the best way for them to move forward with their eye care cosmetic experience? Because if we don't do that, someone else is going to, and I can guarantee you, they don't have the background and expertise that we all have. You're absolutely right. And I think that the investment in the patient is a great, a great tip. Solid ending, Mark, way to go. That's why you're here. That's why we asked you to come, way to go. I'm always also, here. And also just to make fun of Jackie for how much yeah, right. she has with patients. <laughs> but that should be what we want, right? We, this is aspirational here. Like I want to have, I don't want to feel like I'm having, I don't have to rush through my exams, but like I want to be able to make sure that I can sit down and go through everything all at once. And I think that that's nice to have that like, hey, I'm not going to get train wrecked or side, side railed by, you know, 
a old optic atrophy that happened today um, where I ended up an hour behind because this person showed up, no clue that they had optic atrophy with a two plus APD. But this is what happens in primary care is like, I haven't had an eye exam in five years. Why is my vision bad? Yeah, you're right. I think we covered a lot of stuff. We covered a lot of ground. Thank you, Mark, for being here. Always, always fun to have you. Always fun to be around. And now for the To The Point wrap-up. Dr. Schaefer did a great job of explaining how he incorporates the conversation of cosmetic use with his patients every day. We know that cosmetic use, whether it's in the form of eye makeup products such as mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow, or in facial lotions, facial creams, serums that are age-defying in nature, as well as makeup removers and facial cleansers, all of these have chemicals that can impact the ocular surface. So opening the line of communication is the first step in helping to better educate patients around these lifestyle choices when they pertain to dry eye disease. I think that Dr. Schaefer really taught us how just asking the right question is the first step in helping your patient develop good habits and good hygiene habits for comfortable eyes and comfortable vision over the years. 